Thank you, thank you, Song, for sharing with us the wonderful work that God has done in your life. Uh, one of the things that Sung said as I was hearing it now that I really um, <clears throat> appreciated and was challenged by, and, and I guess it's a, it's a challenge for all of us. He said the older we get, uh, the more we should uh, want Jesus or more we should love Jesus, more we should desire Jesus. I think that's a, that's a challenge for those of us who are been walking with the Lord for a while, or for those of us who are in the older part of harvest, um, our young ones are coming after us. <laughs> they're chasing after us. They're breathing down our necks. And if we don't keep on seeking the Lord, they're going to pass us, right? Uh, because they're loving the Lord and they're seeking him and a generation's rising up with selfless faith. Right? So let's take that. Let's lead, right? They gotta, they, there need to be paths in which they run, right? We have to blaze that trail for them. So let's go, let's seek God. The day that we die should be the day that we love Jesus more than any other day in our lives. And today should be the day that we love Jesus less than any day for the rest of our lives. Every day we should be loving Jesus more and more uh, as the day goes by. He should get sweeter and sweeter. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I, uh, that we keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Well, <clears throat> today is, did you know today's Valentine's Day? Do you know that? Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I have presents for everyone, everyone in here. Look under your seat. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I thought about what I could give to you. I, I thought I could write you a note, but that would be uh, a lot of notes to write, so I didn't do that. Uh, I thought about giving you candy, but that's so short-lived, and flowers, flowers fade, and and so I decided I'm going to give you something that you can keep forever, and uh, it's a gift that you could actually give to other people as well. Okay, I'm a, I've got jokes for everyone. <laughs> jokes, okay? Here we go. Jokes, jokes. Everybody likes jokes. Here we go. Um, first one. This is a good one. They're all really good, but they, this one's really good. <clears throat> what did the farmer give his wife for Valentine's Day? That's right. Hogs and kisses. <laughs> hey, good. Hey, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Joe. I'll try and come up with a better one. Here's a better one. All right, here's a better one. This is really good. What did the French boy give to his girlfriend on Valentine's Day? Hugs and quiches. <laughs> it gets better, guys. Come on. Trying to think of a good one here. Trying to think of a good one. Okay, what did, the, what did the man give to his cold wife on Valentine's Day? That's right. Uggs and kisses. <laughs> all right, all right. Warming up, warming up. Uh, okay, here's a good one. This one's really good, really good. What did the boy bat say to the girl bat? That's right. It's really fun hanging around with you. <laughs> Getting better, it's getting better, getting better. There's a point. Let me think of a good one. Okay, here's a good one. This is my favorite of all time. Like, really good, really good. What did the boy octopus say to his girlfriend octopus? Yeah, I want to hold your hand, 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 eight times. All right, okay, here's a, okay. Two more, two more, two more. Listen, there's a, the worse these are, the better the sermon's going to be, okay? <laughs> All right, here we go. I'll, what, is, okay, what is the one kind of flower you should not give 
your wife on Valentine's Day? Cauliflowers, that's right. Good. Round of applause. Thank you very much, guys. I'll be here. All right, so listen, listen. Uh, today's a day to cel- celebrate love, right? Valentine's Day. This is what we, and all around, at least in Maryland, I don't know if Valentine's Day is a, is a worldwide thing, but people are going to be giving out uh, jokes and cards and notes and flowers and candy and all kinds of stuff in order to celebrate love. My, uh, my uh, daughter Manny and, and son Elijah, uh, they came back from school, probably like most of your kids did. They came back from school with shoeboxes filled with cards and notes and things like that, saying things like, uh, be my Valentine or uh, I love you, or you are so sweet, or you're really dashing, all kinds of obscene things like that. And, and these are the things that are given in the name of love, because that's what Valentine's Day is all about. It's a day to celebrate love and to give expressions of love to the people that are important in your life. So today is Valentine's Day, but today is also the first Sunday of Lent. Lent, which we began on Ash Wednesday last week, uh, today marks the first Sunday of that. So we have this new series on the final hours, the last hours of Jesus' life. What Lent is, it's a week of prepar- it's a six weeks of preparation that take us up to Passion Week in order that we can understand truly the greatest love that the world has ever known. Today is a day that we celebrate on one hand the love of Valentine's, but it's also a day that we celebrate and begin to remember the love of a different kind, Calvary love. And what my proposal to you is these two loves could not be more different one from another. Valentine's love is sentimental. Calvary love is sacrificial. Valentine's love is superficial, but Calvary love is supernatural. And Valentine's love is seasonal, but Calvary love is eternal. Today, as we begin this series on Lent, as we go through six weeks of looking at the final hours of Jesus' life, I want to look together at a passage that illustrates to us the greatest love that the world has ever known. Actually, the interesting thing about this one as we begin is that it's not love that's shown by Jesus. He's not the giver of this love. He is the recipient of such love. And it's such a powerful expression of love that Jesus says this here is the gospel. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 16. We're going to look at a love that defies reason a love that goes beyond logic, and a love that if it were seen in this world, they would stand up and take notice because there's something deeply powerful about this kind of love. Matthew 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. There's three different uh, pericopes, passages, so to speak, in this. Uh, The middle one is the one we're going to focus on, and it's sandwiched by two opposing understandings of who Jesus is. Matthew 26, uh, verses 1 through 16. This is God's word. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover, which is the last supper, is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. 
Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, <clears throat> she did it to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel, this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. So what do we see in this passage that helps us to see a love unlike any that we have seen? Two things. The first thing, quite simple, the greater the love, the greater the sacrifice. The first thing that we look at, I don't know if you've ever um, had a friend like this before, You're hanging out with a bunch of guys, and you got this guy friend in your circle of friends who never has time for anything that y'all do. You know, he's always studying or, or hanging uh, out with, at home with his computer or doing whatever it is that he's doing. And so you say, hey, yo, there's this new uh, Star Wars movie that came out. You want to go watch Star Wars? And he's like, no way. I don't have time. I don't have time for Star Wars. I don't have time for movies. I don't have time for anything. I just got to study. I got to study, 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 study. Can't do any of that. He's like, all right. A couple weeks later, you say, hey, dude, there's this new restaurant that opened up, amazing restaurant downtown. The reviews are like going crazy and the lines are out the door. We're going to try and get in on a Thursday night. You want to go? And he's like, no way. I don't, have time to, I don't have time to stand in line. No time to go downtown. I don't even have time to eat anything. So I'm, just, I'm, I'm on this involuntary Daniel fast because I don't have any time to do anything. So he goes off and then a, a few weeks later, you see your friend. And he comes running up to you and he's like, yo, hey, 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 have you guys seen Star Wars? And you're like, no, we didn't watch Star Wars. Remember that night? We're going to watch it, but you said you're too busy, so we we didn't end up watching. We saw something else. Like, oh, my gosh, I saw it, and it was, like, so good. Like, what the heck? Hey, when did you, how did you have time to watch that? He's like, oh, did you guys ever make it to that restaurant? Like, I went a couple days ago, and it was amazing. Did you guys get to go? We didn't go because you were supposed to come with us, but you ditched us, and you said, we're not, you can't go. And so where are you all of a sudden getting all this time from? He's like, oh, my bad. And then he says, hey, hey, um, have you met my girlfriend, Carla? And, and he, he introduces Carla to you guys. And you're like, what in the world? Where did you get all this time from? And, and he begins to, to tell you, well, before Carla, I didn't have time for anything. But after we started seeing each other, I began to make time to be with her, to go to the, do the things that I wanted to do. Why? Because we sacrifice for things that we value. And the reason guys get mad when they go G over P, gals over pals, is because they don't think that they're worth it. Right? How come you couldn't make time for us? You couldn't sacrifice for us? Because we make sacrifices for the things that we value, don't we? I know all of us value sleep. 
We value sleep so much, but I promise you that if the right person asked you to wake up and meet him or her at 5 o'clock at this new breakfast restaurant, you would go. You would set your alarm. Either you'd stay up all night or you'd wake up early so that you could go to that place. If it's a a friend you haven't seen in a long time or uh, uh, somebody that you have a crush on or some famous celebrity who asked you to go, you would do it. Maybe some of you wouldn't. So I wouldn't do that. But listen, there are things that you would sacrifice, things that are important to you for. You would wake up early to make it to that athletic competition that you're competing in. Uh, You'd wake up early uh, to make your tea time at 6 o'clock in the morning or whenever the earliest tea time is. You'd wake up early to go uh, test drive a car that you really want to love if that's the only time you could do it because we make sacrifices for the things that we value. Can I ask you a question? The first question that this passage confronts us with is do you really value Jesus? Do you really value Jesus? Because if you did then it wouldn't be a problem for you to make sacrifices for the one that you say that you love. The first question that's thrown out there to us is, do you love Jesus Christ deep down in your heart? And if so, what kind of sacrifice have you made lately? I'm not talking about 10 years ago, not five years ago, not a year ago, but what sacrifices are you presently making for the one that you say that you love with all of your heart? Everything I am! For your kingdom's cause. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in our lives? If we really love Jesus. In this passage, Jesus is hanging out at the home of a man named Simon. He was a leper. I don't need to go into great detail about what a leper is. It's a skin condition that made him unclean. So he couldn't, he couldn't be in contact with anybody, couldn't be within a certain number of yards of people. And whenever he got close, he had to yell, unclean, unclean, so people would know and they would get away because for fear of being infected. I, the first time I, I learned about leprosy, I was in high school and my youth pastor was explaining it. And he explained it in such great detail that there was a saying amongst our youth ministry, our friends. We would say if someone's having a bad day and they're complaining, we'd say, we'd say or the person who's struggling would look back and say, well, it's not so bad. At least I don't have leprosy. This man had leprosy and Jesus touched him and healed him. And his life was never the same again. And so he invites Jesus to come into his home, and he's hosting a dinner. Now, John chapter 12 tells the same story, and John says, you know who else was there? Lazarus was there. Lazarus was a guy. Man, this guy had a story, too. Man, we come up and we share testimonies. This cat would stand up and say, I was dead. (laughs) I was dead. Four days I was in a tomb. My body began to stink. The Bible even says so. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And I was dead, and I heard his voice, and I came out, grave clothes and everything, and now I'm alive. Everything that he did, every time Lazarus would laugh, people would be like, dude, that guy used to be dead. Every time he would cough, like, dude, that's a guy who was dead. He's coughing. Everything he said, everything that he did, everything about his life testified to the fact that he was dead, he's now alive, that I'm a new creation. Lazarus is chilling. This is the party of all parties. At least two people whose lives have been radically reoriented by Jesus are hanging out with him in this place. Now, the way that these hangouts would happen, if there were women there, guys would be in one section and girls would be in another section. That's just the way that they did things. 
and then barging into the men's section would come this lady. This lady just comes strolling in. She doesn't ask. She doesn't knock. She just rolls up into that place, and she's got this alabaster jar, and it's got, it says, very expensive perfume in there. In, in those days, whenever you hosted a dinner party, the host would bring to the invited guest a, a little thing of, of anointing oil, and they would pour it on their head. And it's cheap oil, the kind you get at like Target or CVS, that kind of oil poured on their head. And the fragrance, especially if they've been traveling a long time, it would take away the stench. And then that aroma would begin to fill the home. But this lady doesn't do that. It says that this lady comes and she breaks open the jar and she pours it. On Jesus' head. Not drops of it, but she pours it. Matthew 26 says he poured it, she poured it on Jesus' head. John 12 says she poured it on his feet. Basically, what they're saying, if you read the Gospels together, is she poured it from head to toe. It's pouring all over Jesus. Every drop of this nard, this expensive perfume, which they say is valued at a year's worth of wages, is being wasted, according to these people, upon Jesus. Who is this masked woman? Who is this luchadores? Who is this person? John 12, John takes the mask off of this lady and says, it's Mary, the one who is a sister of Lazarus. Every time you see Mary, Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11, Matthew chapter 26, every time you see Mary, she's in the exact same posture at the feet of of Jesus. Guys, you want to love Jesus with an extreme love? How often are you sitting at his feet? Listening to the word of God. Praying to him. Seeking the beauty of his presence. Some of us, man, we want to love Jesus so badly, but we're not spending any time with him. You can't love Jesus if you're not sitting at his feet. You can't. And so what is it about, about Mary? What is it that she's sacrificing for the love of Christ? She sacrifices her reputation. Anytime you, you, know, you go to a place where you're not like everybody else, she willingly puts herself into a place where people are beginning to look at her when she walks in. People begin to look at her and stare at her. You guys remember this worship service a couple years back where we're worshiping and at the time it was, you know, 100 some of us, and this one lady, she just happened to stroll in here, Caucasian lady, elderly lady. She wasn't uh, upper middle class. She was probably in kind of the lower socioeconomic bracket, tattered, torn, kind of disheveled looking, said I was looking for another church. You remember when she came in, and during the offering time, we were singing the song, I forgot what it was, but she came and she walked down the middle of the aisle while the rest of us are singing. And she just knelt at the altar right here, and she just began to worship. You guys remember this? But that's what I think of when I think of Mary here. She didn't belong there. She stood out there in that place. Everybody began to say, what is she doing? Why is she even here? And she rolled up into that place because you sacrificed for things that matter to you. And she went into that place, even though there was no reason, no rhyme for her to be there. But she came and she busted open that jar and she began to pour that on Jesus. And they say not only was it a year's worth of wages, but a lot of commentaries say this in, in that $12,000, some have estimated, jar of alabaster contained her wedding dowry. 
What that meant in those days, if you were a female, if you're a woman, if you're to get married, your parents would save up a dowry that when you get married, they give this to you to give to your husband in order that it would be the wedding gift so that you can build your family upon. If you don't get married, this dowry is what you live off of as a single woman. And Mary breaking open this jar and pouring all that out, she's saying, I'm mortgaging my future for the love of Jesus. Everything about my life, even if I never get married, I'm giving this to you, Jesus, because you're all that I need. You're the one thing that matters in my life. Even if it means I stay single, even if it means that I have no money as a single woman, everything I am, I'm I'm, I'm hitching my wagon to you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you because you mean everything to me. This is the sacrifice that she's offering to the one that she loves. Because you cannot love somebody and that not show up in expressions of sacrifice. Can I ask you again, do you love Jesus? I'm not saying, do you sing about loving Jesus? Do you talk about loving Jesus? you tell your friends that you love Jesus? you tell your, 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 your Instagram profile you love Jesus? But really, do you love Jesus? Because if there's no sacrifice, then can we really say that we value one for whom there is no sacrifice? Because when you love, you will begin to make sacrifices for the one that you love. I don't know if they still make this or not, but uh, I I know at least a few years back, uh, Doritos, my favorite (laughs) snack, used to make these things called smashers. Do you know what smashers are? That in the same bag of Doritos, there'd be two flavors mixed together, smashed into one. And uh, one time, I remember uh, Olive and I were driving. I was driving, and she was sitting in the front, and we're eating our Dorito smashers. (laughs) And the bag that we had was a uh, was a bag that had pizza and ranch Doritos. We're eating these. So good. Chelsea knows. She's oh, so good. Eating these and driving happily, going along, having conversations. So I said, Olive, which smasher do you like? Right? Do you like the pizza or the ranch? It's like, I like the pizza better. I said, yeah, me too. I love pizza. She knows. I love pizza. Pizza's like it. I love pizza everything. Even if there's a pizza candy, I would love it. I love pizza. Driving, oh, I love pizza. And then I said, I, I, as I was eating a little bit more, I said, Olive, we hit the jackpot. This bag only has pizza smashers in here. I don't think I've had a single ranch Dorito the whole time we've been driving. And after a couple seconds, she said, I know you like the pizza ones. So I ate all the ranch ones for myself. <laughs> Because you make sacrifices for the ones that you love. Can you really say that you love if you're not willing to make a sacrifice? Mary was willing to sacrifice everything that she had. And when we begin to make sacrifices, a strange thing begins to happen. People begin to notice. And it's not always pretty. In verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Literally, it says they, they, they snorted violently. They said, why this waste? Sometimes when you begin to make sacrifices for Jesus, people begin to make fun of you. They say, you're wasting your life. 
I can't believe you did that. Why aren't you dating this guy? Why aren't you dating this person just because he doesn't believe in Jesus? He's a nice guy. Why aren't you? And you say, for the sake of my Savior. They say, you're wasting your life away. And they make fun of you. But another strange thing happens when we really begin to understand the beauty of Jesus. The language of sacrifice begins to slowly drift out of our vocabulary. And it no longer becomes a sacrifice, but it becomes a delight. We begin to become like Chick-fil-A workers, and we say, it's my pleasure to do that. Listen, Piper says, John Piper, when Jesus is a treasure, sacrifice will be a pleasure. Do you treasure your Savior, Jesus? And you weigh Jesus on a scale up and against all these other things for which we make sacrifices for. We say Jesus is the first. But we sacrifice for so many other things before we sacrifice for Jesus, don't we? As we begin this season of Lent, God's calling us to examine our hearts. What do you really, how much do you really value this Jesus? What does he mean to you? It's interesting, isn't it, that you can look at the same thing and different people can see the same thing and see something completely different. I mentioned last week how uh, one of the movies, uh, my least favorite movies that I've seen is this movie called Taken. There's one guy in our congregation who swears it's like the greatest movie ever. He's like, Dave, are you serious? I love Taken. I love all of the Taken movies. It's so good. So I'm like, are we, are we talking about the same movie here? Liam Neeson? Yeah. We're looking at the same thing, but we're seeing something completely different. And you can look at the same Jesus and see something completely different. These chief priests, they looked at Jesus. They didn't give up everything for him. In fact, what did they see? They saw an, a, a nuisance, an annoyance. When they looked at Jesus, man, these guys studied the word of God. They were around the religious people all of the time. They were in the temple all the time. Did you know that you could be coming to church all the time and have no love for Jesus in your heart? There's another cat here, a guy named Judas. Judas, Matthew writes here very clearly, verse 14, then one of the 12. He's trying to show that he's one of the intimate. He's one of the inner circle, one of the 12 people to highlight the treachery here. One of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, what did he do? He hung with Jesus for three and a half years. He listened to the Sermon on the Mount. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw the lepers healed. He saw the, the, the blind beggars throw up their cans and I don't need these things to beg from anymore. He heard the, the, the tin cans rattling on the floor as they ran off in joy. He saw these things happen. And yet when push came to shove, for pocket change, he punched a one-way ticket to hell because he didn't see the beauty of Jesus when he saw the exact same thing that Mary saw. You know that you could be doing all these things for Jesus, have been privy to witnessing so many miracles of God in your family, in your circles of friends. You could be around people who are testifying to the greatness of Jesus. And yet we're a whole lot more, I'm a whole lot more like Judas than I'd care to say. For pocket change. Sometimes I've sold them out for a momentary pleasure. I've sold them out for the sake of my pride. I've sold them out for the sake of my reputation. I sell Jesus and betray him for the sake of my own comfort and my flesh. What did Mary see? 
She saw in this Jesus a king of endless worth. Someone who had taken the one brother that she loved so much from the dead and gave him life. She saw in Jesus someone who could do what nobody else could do. And she said, whatever sacrifice I give, it's not too much. All that I am, my past, my present, my future, my hopes, my dreams, everything I am, I surrender it to you so that you could know that I love you and so that the world could see that I love you. There was nothing in it for her. It was just when you focus on the object of love, all these other things begin to fade away because the greater the love, the greater the sacrifice. That's the first thing. Second thing that we see, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the impact. You want to make an impact in the lives of people? You want to make an impact for the kingdom of God? It's not going to happen unless we love and unless we sacrifice. That's it. It's so simple. So simple. You want to be used by God in your house church. You want to be used by God in your Sunday school class. You want to be used by God in your children's lives. There's going to be no impact if there's no sacrifice. I read in the West Orange Times this week, there was an article about a lady named Debbie uh, who married her, uh, married a guy named Michael Nema. They live at, right out here in Horizon West. About, uh, maybe it was about 10 years ago, 8, 10 years ago, they got married. Uh, she married him knowing that he had hepatitis C, which is a liver disease. And at, about five years into their marriage, he took this, this test drug, this trial drug, that's supposed to heal his liver, but instead of healing it, it began to attack it even more aggressively than before. And so by the time he went to the Mayo Clinic in Colorado, which is where they were living at the time, doctors gave him four to six months left. That the only hope, uh, we, you cannot wait around for a, a deceased, for us to harvest a liver from a dead person. It's got to be a living donor, but they've got to be healthy, got to be between 18 to 55. They've got to have the same compatible blood type, and they need to be willing to die. Because liver surgery, they take two-thirds of your liver out and they transplant it into the liver, uh, take out the liver of the person who's sick. And so you've got a third of a liver, it reproduces, but there's a chance of death for people who are otherwise perfectly healthy. And so they begin to ask family members, begin to scan everybody out. Uh, but most of the people who volunteered uh, were too old or were not healthy enough. From the get-go, though, Debbie said, I want to be tested as a potential match. But they said, no, you can't because you're his wife. If he survives, you need to be healthy enough to take care of him. Besides, uh, you've got a five-year-old daughter. But the whole time she said, I, 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 I want to do this. I want to do this. So as time went on, he began to degenerate very quickly. Right? He just began to, uh, to, to go downhill very fast. And said, they said, there's no, other, there's no other option. We need to test him. And they tested her, and she found, was found to be a match. And people began to say to her, you're so stupid for doing this. You've got to take care of your daughter. Right, what if both of you, which is a high possibility, both of you don't make it? When she goes into surgery, she went in saying, I'm okay if Michael dies. I'm okay if I die. I'm okay if both of us die. But I cannot bear to look at my daughter in her eyes as she grows up and say, I did not do everything I could to give you the father that you need. And so she made a decision to risk everything for the sake of that man that she loved. 
And I think uh, sometime next month, it will be the celebration of the three-year anniversary of successful surgery. They're growing as a family. They're loving life. They feel it's their faith in our God that God is through these times, and they're happier than ever because of her solitary sacrifice. A man has life. A girl has a father. A family has a future. And this story is being told, and it's impacting people throughout the area. Because the greater the sacrifice, the greater the impact. See, this lady gave everything, but yeah, yeah, I think you have to understand, the way Jesus defines sacrifice is different than the way a lot of us would define sacrifice. The people that Jesus commends for their sacrifice are not only women like this, but she, he commends an elderly widow who gave two copper coins that amounted to a single penny. And he said, this woman gave more than all the others who gave out of their wealth. Why? Jesus commends a little boy who gave these little pieces of barley loaves and a a couple sardines. Literally is what it was. And Jesus uses him to feed 5,000 people. Why? Because Jesus defines sacrifice differently. In the book of Acts, early on in the book of Acts, as the church is beginning to grow and the Holy Spirit begins to prompt people to give all that they have away and to take care of the poor amongst them, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira sell everything that they have and they take part of the money and they give it to the apostles saying, this is everything that we have, knowing that they're saving up what they want to keep. And the Lord God speaks to them and says, how is it that you thought you could lie to the Holy Spirit? You see, the way Jesus defines sacrifice is not in a dollar figure. It's not in an amount. It's not how much you give. But what does Jesus look at? He looks at the attitude that you have and how little you are willing to hold back from him. That's what Jesus is looking at. That's what Jesus looks at. Are you willing to give everything? And even though you give just a a fraction of what you have, it's that desire to give more than you have, to give more than you have given, to give more than you can. This is what Jesus looks at. It's not the amount that matters to Jesus about this woman as she gives her alabaster jar of expensive perfume. It's the heart behind it. He saw a heart for Jesus. He saw a willingness to sacrifice for her, a willingness to lay down everything in order that she might express to Jesus her love for him. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Can we really call it love? There is no sacrifice in a relationship with him. Back in the uh, early 1900s, late 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a church in Philadelphia. A pretty uh, well-known story about this little girl. She was sitting outside of that church in the inner city, and she was sobbing outside the doors of the church. The pastor came out. He began talking to her, and she said, they wouldn't let me in to Sunday school because they said there was not enough room. And as he looked at her tattered clothes, he realized the reason why the teachers had said that. And so he held her hand and he walked her in to a Sunday school class and had her sit down and there she learned about Jesus. She was so moved by that act of love. Two years later, 
six, seven years old, this girl, Hattie Mae Wyatt, was found dead in her tenement housing in the poor part of Philadelphia. And her parents called the only person that they knew who could do a funeral service. They called that pastor who had lovingly taken their daughter to Sunday school and introduced her to Jesus. They invited him to come and to do the funeral. And as they were taking out the body, he saw this tattered old purse, which probably had been taken from the dumpster. It belonged to her. Little girl, he opened it up, and there was this note, and there was 57 cents of change. And that note said, this is for all the children who could not make it to church. Maybe that little church could build a bigger building for these kids. So he took this. The following Sunday, he went up into the pulpit with that tattered old purse and that 57 cents, and he began to read that note to people. The people in the congregation began to respond, convicted. Newspaper picked up on it. They ran an article about it. This realtor read that article, and he said, I've got a plot of land. He went to the pastor and said, I've got a plot of land, and I want to sell it to your church. This is 1900 about a few several thousand dollars, which is huge at the time. The pastor said, we just don't have that kind of money. He said, I read the article. I'll sell it to you for 57 cents. For 57 cents, they bought that plot of land. That 57 cents turned into $250,000. Again, turn of the century, it's a ton of money. And they built that building up. And that became known as the school we now know as Temple University in Philadelphia. A hospital was built. A school was built. December 1st, 1912, that pastor who was incidentally the first founder, he was the founder, first president of Temple University, Russell something or other, was preaching in honor of Hattie Mae Wyatt's life. And he said how 57 cents became $250,000, how $250,000 began to just impact the world. He talked about Temple University, Temple University Hospital, how many people have come to, uh, to, in sick and left healed through that hospital. And he talked about the infinite impact of a 57-cent sacrifice that was given with all of her heart. 57 cents with all of her heart. Listen, y'all, if God can use 57 cents to do that, what could he do with your $5.70, even though that might hurt? What could he do with your $57, even though that might represent a whole lot of your piggy bank? What might he do with $570, with $5,700? What might he do with your sacrifice if you begin to give that to the Lord God? It's not the art. It's the heart that he's looking at. There will be no impact if there is no sacrifice for the kingdom. Whenever you give, when you give, when the offering plate goes around, you're not just giving to a program. You're not just giving to a church. You're not just giving to a building project. You're giving to the kingdom. And whenever you give to the kingdom of God, there is never a wasted investment. Guys, I have spent money on things that I regret spending money on. There's meals that I've eaten that I wish I hadn't spent money on. There's clothes that I bought that people told me you shouldn't have spent money on that. There's shoes that I bought that fell apart and I shouldn't have done that. But I've never given to Jesus and ever, ever, ever regretted it. You will never give to the kingdom. You will never sacrifice for the kingdom and never receive a return on investment. I'm not talking that you're going to be rich. 
but I am saying that God has a way of blessing you beyond anything that you might know. You take a step of faith for the love of Jesus, would you? was talking with a, a sister the other day, and, and she, she doesn't go to our church, but she heard about our Daniel fast, and she's been going through Daniel fast also, and she was texting and, and saying, one of the things that God's challenging me to do is, is to tithe. That's this part-time job somewhere, and she's tithing. And said, it's been really good, but she asked this question. She said, I don't understand God's timing, though, because this is the time when I need money the most, when I need to save up money the most. I don't understand why God would have me do this now. I don't either, but what I said is that you will never invest into God's kingdom and regret it. God will always, always, always take care of you. Always will. And he causes that little sacrifice that you offer to him to impact the lives of other people in countless ways that you never know. Look at what this, this act of, I mean, she wasn't trying to become famous. In fact, this made her not famous. She wasn't trying to become popular. This made her very unpopular. All she was doing was just trying to love Jesus. And his response to stop, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. Don't you long to have Jesus say of you, she's done a beautiful thing to me. He's done a beautiful thing to me. When Jesus sees sacrifice, he sees beauty. And when he sees beauty, he makes sure that he will announce that. And this is what he says, this impact that she never before began to dream. Verse 13, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world. What she has done will also be told in memory of her. All she's trying to do, I just want to love Jesus. And Jesus says, you will be famous throughout the world wherever the gospel is known. Why? Why does Jesus hold up this simple act that anybody could have done and hold this up as the quintessential illustration of what the gospel really is? We're going to look at this passage next week, but if you look at what she does, she takes this jar. She doesn't just pour, she breaks it. And then she pours it out, the content. Jesus would later take these same words in Matthew, 25, in Matthew 26. On the night he was betrayed, two days later, he took bread and he broke it. And he took wine he poured it. He said, the very thing that Mary has done is a preview of what I'm going to do in just two days when I die for the world on the cross. The greater the love, the greater the sacrifice. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What Jesus did. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the impact. Colossians 1, 6 all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and spreading just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it in all its truth. You want to have an impact for the kingdom of God? You want to have an impact begins by going back 
to loving Jesus. You want to love Jesus? Here's how. This is love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his life as a living sacrifice. The reason we can love is not by us saying, I want to love, I want to love, I want to love, but it's by us sitting at the feet of the cross and receiving his love in our hearts so that from the overflow of a filled heart, the alabaster jar breaks and is poured out upon the beauty, wasted for the beauty of Jesus, in order that we might say that he's worthy. Let's pray. Every Sunday, my friends, we come. Every Sunday we come. And we're reminded that sometimes the things that we spend Monday through Saturday living for are not the things that really matter. Sometimes the things that we spend our money Monday through Saturday on don't really matter. Sometimes the things that I look to, the things that I sacrifice for don't really matter. And every time as we gather on Sunday, our eyes are redirected to see the beauty of Jesus. The desire and the intent of us coming together on Sunday is not so that we can hear and say, yes, that's good, and go forth. But the desire is that in encountering Jesus at the end of every message, that we would be changed. And that by being changed, we would live differently. The call of God in our lives today is to think about this. We've got a building project that is in need of sacrifice in order that we might impact the world. What would it look like for you to make a sacrifice in that direction? We have a church that's seeking to do things for the glory of God. We have missionaries that are seeking to labor and make an impact amongst nations that many of us would not dare to go. What would it look like for us to sacrifice in order that we might carry their impact even deeper into the unreached reaches of the world? What would it look like for you to sacrifice? Because to the degree that you sacrifice, that will be to the degree that God multiplies that. You know, anything, right? If you give God one, he will multiply one. You give God zero, he'll multiply zero. But if you multiply 10, he'll multiply 10. There's a God multiplying factor as you give your sacrifice to him. And as your heart is broken and surrendered to him, God will take what you have and he will use that to do greater impact for the sake of the kingdom we pray just make a decision right now father in heaven i don't want to just be a hearer of the word i don't want to just say yes that's true or amen i believe that but i want the word to become flesh in me to have its dwelling amongst the people so that they might see you may worry about what other people might say but listen No one has a right to judge your breakthrough until they see what you've been through. If you've been through and you've experienced Jesus, and don't worry what other people have to say. Your only audience is Jesus. That's the beauty of falling in love with Jesus. When you love Jesus above all else, your audience begins to shrink. And you don't care what all those other people think. The haters going to hate and the people who don't know are going to say what they want to say. The only thing that you need to hear is Jesus say, that was beautiful to me. 
Just come before the Lord Jesus. Jesus, take me, all that I am, all that I am. Use me for your glory. Spend me for your glory. I lay my life at your feet. Let's pray together for a couple moments, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue to worship through songs and, and through our giving. $12,000 gift like Mary of Bethany. But thank you that you're looking deeper than our gift. You see into our hearts that have been captured by love. In a heart that has known the love of God, to a heart that has known the love of God, the only acceptable response is to say, Jesus, here I am. Everything I have for you Multiply my little bread, my little pieces of fish. Multiply my little copper coins. Multiply the little that I have. And would you, could you somehow reach a world through my offering? Lord, take what we have and use it for your glory. We love you, Jesus, because you've loved us first. And because you've loved us, we choose to sacrifice to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all rise and